Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. One of the reoccurring themes in Revelation is how good it is when the people of God are worshiping God together. Can I get an amen? amen? Isn't that good? It's almost like God knew what he was doing when he said, don't give up meeting together, but continually, as long as today is today, encourage one another, spur one another with on, on with love. And when we sing praise to God together as the body of Christ, worshiping Christ, it just, it melts hearts, it opens eyes, it changes lives, it transforms lives. God knew what he was doing when he said, go have worship. Now, in, we've been studying Revelation and this is the 10th week in a row, and I know sometimes we can have uh, fatigue from the same type of study over and over again, but it just shows how relevant all of God's scripture is that uh, today's uh, study from Revelation chapter 17 and 18 and just a little bit of 19 uh, fits perfectly with Father's Day. Uh, fathers, we need you, and Scripture repeats this time and time again, fathers, we need you to lead and teach our children the way they should go, to train up our children the way they should go. And as we lead, fathers, as we lead and as we provide opportunities to teach and we show our children the way, we also provide an example for others around us and we encourage our own faith. So today, today for Father's Day, I want to encourage that you can continue to teach your children and be an example for the world. In Revelation chapter 17, you can turn in your Bibles right now to Revelation chapter 17. Uh, we're going to find two expectations or, excuse me, explanations of worldly worship. We need to train our children against worldly worship and, against, and for the worship of God. And we're going to find two explanations of worldly worship in Revelation chapter 17. And then uh, we're going to see one command to all. And we'll see at the beginning of chapter 19, four, four reminders about worshiping together. And this is in Revelation. We, we've, uh, we've come to, we've passed the halfway mark in Revelation, and we're going to start seeing um, how Jesus reminds us of what we've already read. The symbols that we've already read in Revelation are going to start reoccurring, and we're going to recognize what Jesus has already taught us about these symbols found in Revelation and how uh, it continually points to a spiritual truth, a reality that sometimes we don't see in the physical world. But in chapter 17, we are introduced to a, a new symbol that we haven't seen before. And it, it kind of gets complicated, but then at the very end of chapter 17, Jesus says, hey, this is what this okay because God explains it for us. In the scripture, sometimes there's a word used called like a puzzle to solve. It's just something that was hidden that God now reveals. Something that people were curious about, they didn't understand, but then God, through his grace, reveals what that mystery is. And we're going to see a mystery in chapter 17. And we wouldn't know what it was unless 
God could spiritually reveal it to us. I, I hope you turn to uh, chapter 17 in your Bibles, and the first thing we're going to see, an explanation of what worldly These are the two worldly worships we find in chapter 17 that fathers, we need to teach our children to be aware of. Number one, temptation. We need to teach our children to look at the spiritual world behind what we see. The spiritual world is just as real as the physical world, and, it, and the physical and spiritual always are interacting. So if we can train our children to look for the spiritual behind what we're actually seeing physically, we're going to be ahead of the game and we're going to protect them from falling to temptation. Temptation. Here's chapter 17. Just verses 1. Remember, we're finishing up the judgment of the entire world from the bowls of wrath that God says, hey, the end will come soon. One of the angels says to John, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth commit adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. Now, this is a new symbol that we are finding in Revelation we haven't seen before. The other ones we've kind of been working through and we've seen what those symbols are, but now we're introduced to a new symbol and it is almost difficult because it is so drastic. It's such a caricature. It's, a, it's just so in your face. It's kind of like um, TV comedy shows. T good TV comedy shows are just built around different types of clowns. Clowns have one thing they do. I, I took an acting class one time, a long time ago, and we had to be clowns. And we had to take one part of our personality and then blow it up as big as we could make it. And, and, and whatever part of our personality we used, that was our catchphrase. So I thought, you know, I like to lead. I will be a clown that says, follow me. And that's all I could say, follow me, follow me, follow me. And it's a caricature. It's not my whole personality, but it, it's the one thing that comes out. In comedies, they do that. If you watch any comedy show, they're just clowns that do one thing. They have one catchphrase. They have, kind of have one characteristics that make them funny. And here we find temptation and this woman who is glittering with gold and wealth, and she has uh, scarlet and, and purple clothes on, which signify wealth, and she is uh, covered, and she's attractive, but she only has one overriding theme. But it's, it, it, it's difficult to see if you're not paying attention. This is what's called spiritual blindness. And fathers, we need to teach our children to see beyond the physical so we can see the spiritual reality behind what we're seeing physically. This woman is so attractive, and, but behind her, she's riding on the beast from chapter 13. The beast with blasphemous names, seven heads, ten horns, the one who wants to wage war against Christ and all of his followers. The method that the devil uses to kill Christians, and if he can't kill them, he wants to seduce you away from your faith and away from Christianity and away from Jesus Christ, and he'll use any tools to seduce you. 
And here, behind the scenes, what we don't see, what's hard to see, is the devil is using the beast who uses the woman to try to trap us and trick us and then kill us. You'll notice that one of the symbols that Jesus used is John is taken to the wilderness. The wilderness is the time of temptation. In Exodus chapter 15, after Israel was rescued and left Egypt, they entered into the wilderness, their time of testing before they entered the promised land. And Israel failed. They did not recognize the spiritual temptation behind what they were seeing. And so what they saw was we're hungry and we're thirsty and they began to doubt God. And they began to complain. And then they began to move away from their faith even though they'd just been rescued and had seen the hand of God move all throughout their world. They failed the test. And they gave in to temptation. They took their eyes off of what God does. They took their eyes off the spiritual world. Jesus, when he began his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested and tempted by Satan. And it was here that Jesus, who is tempted just like we're tempted, did not fail the test. He did not sin. He became the spiritual guideline for us to see behind the, the physical, to see the spiritual behind the physical world to show us how to conquer temptation and rely completely on Jesus and rely completely on the vision we have from God where he rescues us. Fathers, we must teach our children to see behind the physical. So here's this woman covered and glittered in wealth, but she is drunk and she's trying to get other people drunk too. And so we have to not only see the temptation, but we have to teach the real life story behind something where you worship someone other or something other than God. If you don't worship God, then you're worshiping the beast. If you just worship yourself, then you're worshiping the beast. We need to have this realization come into our hearts. We need to have this realization open our eyes to see what's really going on. We're in the wilderness because we haven't reached the promised land yet. And so during our time here on earth, we're going to be tempted by all that glitters. And trust me, all that glitters is not gold. When we realize what's really going on, we're going to have the realization that it's ugly. Continue on in 17. This woman, she held a golden cup in her hand. She is very attractive and very convincing until you realize what's going on. The golden cup is filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Here's where God reveals it. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. When we see what's in her cup and we see what the food she is eating and we realize it's the blood of the saints that she has murdered, that she has killed, that she has persecuted, all of a sudden we realize that what was so tempting a moment before is actually ugly. Satan promised, since he can't touch Christ, he can't attack God, he promised to wage war against his followers. That's us. And he'll use all the riches of the world, all of what is good in creation to tempt you and lead you astray because he wants to kill you and he wants to compromise your faith. 
He wants you to choose the worldly riches over God. And he will find whatever is most attractive to you, and he will put that lure right outside of whatever boundary you've established. If you said, I'm going to go this far, but I'm not going to go any further, that's when he'll put his lure, whatever is attractive to you, and it will kill you. It will lead you astray. It will provide a compromise to your faith. That's why we have to put our boundary as close as we can to the holiness of God. And this is going to how we're going to fight the ugliness of temptation. But we need to have our eyes open to what the luxuries truly cost. When we find out that her luxuries, what's in her cup, is death and blood, and it's built on the backs of slaves, it becomes less attractive to us. Think about it. If we are after just self-worship and we only do things that are about ourselves, what we'll do is we will be slaves to luxuries. And we will go after those luxuries. We want to make ourselves feel good over and over again. But just like with any other drug, once you reach a certain high, you have to have more of that drug to reach the same high. And so we're going to go after that luxury, but now we need more of the luxuries. What happens when we trace our luxuries back to where they come from? When we trace back worldly wealth, a lot of times we're going to find it was made in a sweatshop from an underage kid who's going to die before they're 15. That's slave labor. And this is what God calls us to, the realization that God calls us to, who wants us to see when he says in 18, look, chapter 18, you can turn over there real quick, chapter 18, 11, after the prostitute is judged, after she is destroyed, God says the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle, sheep, horses and carriages. All these things are the wealth of the world that Rome was experiencing. It's all the things that represent the wealth of the world we experience. And John leaves the last phrase of that with where all the wealth comes from. Human beings sold as slaves. How do you think they collected all the cinnamon? How do you think they collected all the gold? The worst position to be in Rome was a slave, but there were some slave jobs better than others, and the worst slave job was to work in a mine because the life expectancy was about two years. And Rome stretched all the way from the Atlantic Sea to the Middle East. And they thrived on a trade route of human souls. They would just say, I need two more bodies, and they'd go buy two more bodies and put them to work. Part of the downfall of Rome was in the uh, second century, they stopped expanding. They started having pirates cut off their trade routes, and they had no more slaves to work in their kingdom. And once the work dried up, the kingdom started to dry up. When we are in it for ourselves, when we fall to temptation and we go after what we want over what God wants, trace back to where your luxuries are coming from. God wants us to have our eyes open to the temptation that is there and the realization that it is ugly when you fall to it, when you succumb to it. The things that you use to just enjoy your own self, a lot of times are traced back to exactly what Revelation 18 says, slavery. That's the one, that's the big difference. Fathers, we got to teach our children this. That's the big difference between 
being slaves to the wealth of the world or using the wealth of the world to set people free. Using what we earn to glorify God. Using what we can enjoy, the riches God has given us to enjoy, to also help other people. There's a big difference. And fathers, we get to set the example of how to use everything God is giving us for his kingdom instead of just for ourselves. Fathers, I know today is Father's Day, and I know a lot of times, well, let me rephrase that. What I do on Father's Day is think it should all be about me. And I'm expecting to have the gift waiting for me, for me, when I get home. You see how the temptation for all that gold and glitters, and boy, do I like those technological little gadgets. And boy, do I like those Lowe's gift cards so I can just go buy stuff for me. I don't even want to use the weed eater and lawnmower. I just want one. You see how easy it gets swapped? But once we realize that being self-centered like that is actually falling to the temptation of the woman who, by the way, we're going to find out in just a second, is the nation that is persecuting the Christians. It is Rome representative. Once we find out that it is the way the devil uses any worldly nation, any worldly authority, anything good in the world to trap and snare and compromise Christians' faith, to lead people astray and down a road that leads to death, once we realize that, we kind of have this understanding that it shouldn't be all about me. How can I now use those power tools, fathers, to go help somebody else? How can I now use those electronic gadgets to glorify God? How can I now use what God has given us in wealth to restore where people are lost and hurting and in pain? We need to have this realization. Once we find out what's, how the food is made, we don't want the food anymore. We need our eyes open to this. You remember Ben Abbott, he was on staff here several years ago. He planted a church, multiplied church in Florida. Uh, they're doing okay. Uh, they've had a little setback because COVID-19 kind of messed up their launch date. They launched their church plant, and then they had to not show up. Ben told me a story when he was in the Air Force and in Korea. He told his friend that he found this great place where he could have dinner and a movie for only five bucks. Everywhere else in Korea, it cost $10. And his friend said, there's got to be something wrong. He said, no, no, it's dinner and a movie, five bucks. I go to the movie, right across is this, is this stand that has chicken on a stick. It's so good. Come on, I'll show you. And they went down to see this $5 great deal. And he said, he got, he said, here's the movie, cost $2.50. Here's the chicken on a stick, cost $2.50. And, and his buddy grabbed his arm. And he said, Ben, I don't think that's chicken. And Ben said, what are you talking about? And he said, look all around the shop, man. And there were rat traps all around the... Oh. Ben said he never went back to that food stand. Once we find out how things are made, once we find out how the food is made, our eyes are open to the temptation. We come to the realization that it's built on the backs of those who are hurting, and we want to change things. Christ's call to the world is to bring about change through love and sacrificial giving, not through personal getting. 
And that's the lust of the prostitute who rides the beast. She offers instant gratification, but forever torment. Whereas if you worship God, you're not going to have instant gratification, but you're going to have forever blessing. It's hard, though, while you do it here. One missionary, when he was in Calcutta with Mother Teresa, he wanted to find out what Mother Teresa was so special and he went and he watched her. He thought she might glow. He thought she might be this wise old granny where people would come to her and she'd go out wisdom. And he said none of that happened. And the one thing he really, really noticed about her were her feet were deformed. And he thought, oh no, she's contracted leprosy. But he didn't want to say anything. And he said one of the sisters came to him and she said, did you notice Mother Teresa's feet? He said, yeah, that's all I can look at. And she said, for years and years and years, people have donated shoes to these orphans. And Mother Teresa digs through and finds the worst pair, and that's the pair she keeps for herself so the orphans have better shoes than she does. And over years and years and years of that sacrificial love, the bad shoes has deformed her feet. You want to know what made Mother Teresa so special and why people flocked to her? And they want to know, do what she did, and when they showed up, they couldn't do what she did because she was providing sacrificial love to the people she interacted with, where she would sacrifice what she wanted for the glory of God. This is the command to overcome temptation and come to the realization of what God wants us to be, who he wants us to worship. Fathers, we get to teach and train our kids how to do that. Christians everywhere, you get to train your children and you get to be that example wherever you go to show that same sacrificial love. And that's where we come to the command from this passage of Scripture. Between 17 and 19, we have one command to Christians, and that is to come out. Chapter 18, verse 4, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes." I did skip a point. One of the points that I, I skipped that we need to be aware of is that uh, evil will turn in on itself. You'll find out at the end of chapter 17, once the beast uses up the woman he has no more use for, he kills her, consumes her body, sets her on fire, and goes after another woman. Evil never creates, it only destroys. That's why we have to have that temptation Mindset, watch out for it. Well, that's how we have to come to the realization. But that's also why we need to go for this command, come out of her. This command is, uh, is kind of the, it's very difficult to do. How do you come out of a nation? How do you come out of a culture that says, be in it for yourself if you live there? How do you come out of a culture that says, worship only what you want don't worship God if you live there. How do you come out of a culture that says, be in it for instant gratification and who cares if you hurt anybody else? But the command is, come out. This is where John wrote in a previous letter, he said, be in the world, but don't be of the world. In 1 John chapter 2, he, kind of, he said it this way, do not love the world or anything in the world. He's talking about that temptation that is there, all the good things God has given us that we can enjoy. He said, don't be slave to them. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that's describing the woman, by the way, comes not from the Father, but from the world. 
I should say that describes the prostitute. I don't want to give women a bad name. The prostitute found in Revelation chapter 17. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires are passed away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Fathers, we have to train our children to obey this command, come out from 18, chapter 18, verse 4. We have to allow the worship of God to shape all that we do in our life. If we worship God and we're seeking to glorify him in everything, we are going to be coming out of the world. We have to remind ourselves to think of God often and then worship him. One monk from many, many, many centuries ago, he tried this habit. He tried to think of God at least one second out of every minute of the day. When we're that detailed about trying to think of God and who he is and to glorify him, we're going to be coming out of the world. We have to use the riches of this world to give glory to God and to help others instead of being entrapped. Fathers, if you want to teach your children how to come out of the world, parents, if you want to teach your children how to come out of the world, Christians, if you want to teach your kids and be an example to come out of the world, you have to use the riches of this world to help others. Are we, are, we getting, are we catching this? This is a theme in Revelation. This theme of Revelation keeps repeating itself. By the way, this theme is, this world is hard, but if you worship God, you will stand victorious. This world is difficult, and it might even kill you from the testimony that you proclaim and by your trusting in the Lamb. But if you do, you'll stand victorious. If you come out of the world... In this section, use the riches God has given you to help others. You will stand victoriously. It's one of the proofs that you are actually in Christ. If you are living for yourself and you are living just to gratify what you want all the time, it might be a sign you need to evaluate your faith in Christ. It might be a sign you need to evaluate whether you are actually in Christ or are just giving him lip service. And there's danger to be there. Finally, the father, fathers, we have to teach our children how to worship God together with other Christians. And there's the destruction of this prostitute in chapter 18. In 17, she's, she's what the, Satan is using to destroy Christians and lead them astray. And in chapter 18, God describes how this prostitute is torn down and judged and destroyed. At the end of chapter 17, we recognize, God tells us, this prostitute that we see is actually Rome, what first century Christians were going through. And the way John describes it, the way Jesus reveals it, he says stuff like, this is one who was and is not and is to come. And then he describes the, the, the seven heads of seven emperors of Rome. And he says, you know, you've been through five, you're now at six, and seven is to come. But in Revelation, the numbers are symbols. And the number seven is this symbol of completion. And what Jesus is trying to tell the Christians of the first century, Rome will not be here forever. It wasn't built in a day, but it's destroyed in an hour. 
Rome, what they were going through, had some bad emperors, and it might even get worse, but eventually Rome will fall. And the Christians in the first century needed to hear that their temptation and their persecution wouldn't last forever. And Christians, we need to hear that today because once the beast uses up that prostitute, he goes and finds another prostitute, someone else who will kill Christians, who will persecute Christians, and who will try to get you to compromise your faith. So Christians, we're living in the time where five have come and six is here and seven is just around the corner. It's not over yet, but it will be over soon for whatever nation is against God. Because God will bring about judgment and he'll bring out a new nation. And the Christian's job is to remain faithful all the way through. And so at the destruction of Rome in chapter 18, verse 19, chapter 19 moves into praise of God. At the, destruct, at the destruction of our temptation and sin, we move into the praise of God. And here we find chapter 19, four ways to worship God and what he has done. And this is where some of our themes begin to repeat again, because we've already been in worship and revelation with God the Father. If you turn to chapter 19, we'll finish up with these four acts of worship that God wants us to see. Number one is praise. After the fall of Babylon, after the fall of Rome, after the destruction of the prostitute, we have praise. Chapter 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah. There's going to be four hallelujahs in chapter 19. And it's right where we need it. Rome falls, our temptation falls, our persecution falls, and we praise God for it. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belongs to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He knows exactly the punishment evil deserves, and he will give it. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of her servants. Remember way back in seal number five, those who have been killed by the prostitute, by the beast. They said, how long do we have to wait until you avenge our blood? And Jesus says, just wait a little longer. God will give out the punishment at the right time. We praise God for who he is and what he has done. And that's what we find in that first order of worship. And fathers, if you're going to teach your children to praise God, you need to train them on who he is and what he has done. Salvation and glory and power are his, and he brings about justice in his good timing. And the second hallelujah follows. This is just thanksgiving. Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. It's just thanksgiving for what God has done. It's not even focused on his character, but it is still a praise. A lot of times when we get together and we sing praise and worship songs, we sing a lot about what God has done, thanksgiving to God, and this is a valid praise. The first praise was just who God is and what he's done, but this one is just for what he has done. Hallelujah. We can see the judgment that he brings on Rome. We can see the judgment he brings on evil all the time. Evil turns in on itself, and he makes it happen. And we can praise God for that. Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seating, seated on the throne and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. All creation is in agreement when they worship the Father. I'll tell you how that works. We saw it today when we were together singing. We were together singing just a moment ago and we were all in agreement 
that it is good to be together and worshiping the Lord, we say, amen, hallelujah. That's what the four living creatures and the 24 elders before the throne did. They saw who God was. They saw what he had done. They saw all of, all of the saved giving praise. And they said, amen, we like this, hallelujah. And there's a call to worship, a call to remember to worship that comes before the fourth hallelujah. A voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, both great and small. There's a call to worship. That same call is to us. Fathers, that same call is to us to train our children to worship God for who he is and what he has done. If we can get our minds wrapped around, we worshiping God for who he is and what he does, we'll be training our kids to see beyond the physical, to see the spiritual temptation that's behind it. We'll train our kids to use the riches of this world to help others instead of just gratify our own sinful desires. If we can go to this call to worship, we will be using our lives to glorify God and it will fight off the temptations of this world. Are we following this? There's their call to worship. And John said, I heard a sound, what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and beget and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. And there we have that, another contrast in Revelation. The prostitute who gave herself up for the world, who tried to lead Christians astray, and now the bride who is pure and only focuses on God with her good deeds. That bride is us. Fathers, when we train our kids to battle temptation, to come to the realization that it's ugly and that evil will defeat itself, when we train our kids to obey the command to come out of the world and we train our kids to worship, we are going to be the ones who stand victorious the ones who stand at the end when God brings judgment. This is the part where we say, amen, hallelujah. Let's try it together. Amen. I like how it was uh, kind of like, amen, hallelujah. Is it just too hot in here? Let me try it again. Let me try it with a little bit more effort. Because we've got to get that in our souls to come out, right? When we train our kids to fight off temptation and the realization that the world is offering evil that will compromise their faith and lead them to hell. We train our kids to come out of this world and use our riches to help people. If we train our kids to worship, we will stand victorious. Amen. That was better. It was better. We're given a reminder, just a taste of what is coming when we take communion. Look at how this section in 19, we're not going to go all the way through 19, but look at how this section that started with the prostitute in 17 ends in verse 9 of 19. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are, invi who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Instant gratification here or forever meal with God in heaven. One is better than the other. Are you invited to the wedding supper? One of the ways that we know that we're invited to the wedding supper is to enjoy communion. To commune with the saints, with the body of Christ, in the body of Christ, the blood and the body. 
This is a reminder of the wedding supper that will come when we celebrate what God has done. Would you take out your communion? If you're at home, would you take out your communion and get your bread and your cup ready? Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. One of the reminders that we have, that we are in the wedding supper, we have the invitation, is our participation in communion. When you come to the Lord, what's called the Lord's table, when you come to the participation of communion, we are given bread that is Christ's body. Jesus says, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And what we do when we eat this bread, we remember how Jesus sacrificed on the cross to save us from our sins. And we get to see just a little bit more behind the physical where the spiritual is interacting. Would you take that bread, consume that bread, and remember Jesus died for you? And when we come to the cup, we're reminded of his sacrifice for us. The blood that was shed that covers over all of our sins reminds us and also is our example to sacrifice ourselves to show love for others. And we declare his death until he comes again. When we declare his death, we're also declaring his resurrection because he will return and take us to be with the wedding supper of the Lamb. Would you take the cup and remember what Jesus has done? Let's pray. God, we thank you for providing us Revelation Scripture on ways that we can train up and follow you even today. Even on Father's Day, it's still relevant. God, we thank you for the relevancy of Scripture, and we, we thank you and praise you for that foretaste of the wedding supper of the Lamb where we remember that we are saved and made holy by your sacrifice. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I have to ask this question, and I have to ask the question for if you're watching online, are you invited to that wedding supper? Or are you living for yourself? Are you sealed with the mark of the Holy Spirit, or are you sealed with the mark of the beast? That's what Revelation keeps asking. If you are in it for yourself, I urge you to repent and turn to Christ and make your life about him. If you're online and watching, would you make your decision public? Would you write it in one of our chat rooms or would you send us an email? And if you're here in this room and you want to make a decision for Christ, would you come see me when we are finished today? We will help you take your next best step to follow Christ. We'll help you turn from your old way of life where temptation rules your soul and we'll turn to God's way of life where he will rule your soul. One promises eternal reward and the other promises just worldly wealth and then destruction. Are you invited to the wedding of the Lamb? Are you fighting temptation? Are you obeying the command to come out? And are you praising God for what he has done? Those are questions Revelation keeps asking us. And Father, these are questions we need to keep asking our children as we live the example. If you'll allow me to pray for us, uh, I'll pray for us and then we'll be dismissed from this place. Let's pray. God, we thank you for... Uh, Again, the question you keep asking us. We ask that you would take this scripture that was taught today and allow us to meditate on it and allow it to change our hearts and transform our lives so that we would want to be with you. 
Whether we're watching online or we're here in person, would you continually to transform us through the blood of Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, so that we can be your people and stand victoriously with you forever. And to that we all say amen and hallelujah. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming today. That will be all for us today. And it is so thankful. I'm so thankful to be back in worship in the building with the people we all love. Thank you for coming. Have a great afternoon. If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org donate.